No, no, it, it, it is kind of, there's some normalcy. In fact, it's kind of funny. Sometimes I feel like uh, Tom Hanks from Castaway. Cause it's just like, <laughs> you're just like, it's just me and the camera. And yeah. It's kind of like, it's like, all right, you know, this is here, here we go again. Just like you and me. Camera. Your camera is your Wilson. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's what it feels like. So uh, yeah. maybe I should like put a handprint on the, the camera. Just to- uh-huh. Yeah. I like the way you think. You're listening to Lead Him to Life, where it's our prerogative to explore what it means to be authentically human and fully alive. We have far more questions than answers, but believe that extraordinary answers can be found in the ordinariness of a journey. I'm your host, Emily Leadham. Hello, friends, and welcome to Lead Him to Life. I am delighted to have someone so near and dear to my heart join me, joining me on the podcast today. Father Max Baina, welcome to Lead Him to Life. Thank you, Emily. Really good to be here. I'm so honored. Okay, tell us a little bit about who you are. Give us a few fast facts um, so that people have a sense of who Father Max Baina is. Sure, absolutely. So I'm from the Chicago area, and I have been a priest for almost two years now, uh, which is hard to believe. It's going by super fast. Uh, Grew up in the Chicago area all of my life. Grew up in a Catholic family, one of five. Uh, so Where do you were, fall? I'm the second oldest. Okay. So, uh, yeah, the older brother and then younger sister, two younger brothers. So just one girl. She somehow made it through. What a saint. The four of us. Yeah, living saint, really. Uh, and uh, went to all public schools. And then around my junior, senior year, entered the seminary. and. Uh, Eight years of seminary right into priesthood after that. Eight years, no big deal. Yeah, yeah, really quick, you know. Not yeah, that just a little a little, <laughs> a little, time in school, not a big deal. Yeah. Oh, man, right. eight years. And you yeah. and I met when we studied abroad together in Rome. Our, yes. what, were, were we in the same grade? Was that your junior year? That was my junior year, second semester. Okay, mm-hmm. yep, yep, same here. And then I actually graduated while we were there. So I didn't, I didn't go back for that senior year. I thought, oh, I'll finish it, <laughs> finish it off. Yeah. So yeah, so you and I got to, to spend um, four or five months in Rome together. We happened to be there when Pope Benedict resigned and when Pope Francis was elected, which is crazy, just this unbelievable moment in history. Um, yeah, and I feel like many in our class just share this special bond together because of because of that, you know, having kind of walked that adventure together. Oh, yeah, just an yeah. extraordinary time. Yeah. I love, I love talking about it, just going back and, did that really happen? I know. Yeah, it did. Was that real? Yeah, especially now as we find ourselves, you know, in the middle of quarantine when we're starting to feel like, oh my gosh, are we ever going to be able to like leave our house again, let alone travel anywhere or let yeah. alone, is there any, anyone out there? You know, it's just this good reminder. Yes, life, life is out there and life will go on. And yeah, absolutely. Okay. So you've been ordained two years. Yep. Best part, hardest part. What do you got? Great question. So the best part is being a spiritual father and and just finally making it to priesthood and you you spend so much time in seminary again eight years and to finally be immersed in a parish and to to really be be fatherly the spiritual father to people and uh that looks so many so many different ways 
take so many different forms. Um, but uh, I would say that's the highlight. Um, hardest part, I would say just the the ordinary mundane moments like checking emails or phone calls um, and just, you know, office work and, and, and just, just ordinary kind of routine, which I guess is a human thing, mm. but um, you know, you, you get into to priesthood with, with all that passion, that zeal. And then, and then like anything else you have just boring or ordinary days. And uh, so that's probably the. Yeah. Okay. So I want to start with the fatherhood component. What, how would you describe that transition into like, when did you know, Whoa, I'm, I'm a, I'm embracing fatherhood in a way that I have not experienced before, because I think for, for married men that might come uh, when their first child is born, or actually for some of them, it takes even a little bit longer because the child is bonding with mom right away or whatever, you know, sometimes I think it can take dads a little bit longer. Was there a moment for you that you really felt like I'm a father? Yeah. Good question again. So, you know, for me, I wasn't expecting this at all, but I really felt it right after my ordination. Uh, I I didn't like feel something like sometimes people ask you like, how do you feel? Like, do you feel any different? It wasn't like a, like a feeling, but it was like this, this deep conviction that something had changed and almost like a, like a new authority. So to speak. Mm. Um, by the time the, the ceremony was done and, and, I suppose just the way people began to relate to me, it was like your identity changes instantly where I almost feel like people, the faithful kind of develop like a spiritual intuition of like, like he's, he's father now. So just, I I would say right after ordination, I have people come up to me and start asking me for, for my prayers, asking me for blessings and, um, confiding certain things. And, uh, that's when it really dawned on me. It was like, wow, this is, this was really, a a transformation. Something happened here and, you know, really set things off from there. Yeah. I love that. And I think your articulation that there, there's this intuition among others that Mm -hmm. come to you. There's, they recognize that you have something, uh, in your very being that is going to be life-giving for them, which I just think is beautiful. Mm. Um, so you said the hardest part was mm. just the ordinariness. And, I, and I'm laughing because I'm like, oh my gosh, <laughs> you're preaching to me right now. You know, it's, no, there's no. this reality that, uh, yeah, last night I cleaned my house for the 15th time this weekend and looked at the pile of laundry and, uh, you know, went through the emails this morning. It's like, Mm -hmm. oh man, there's just this mundaneness. So how have you kind of combated that? How have you dealt with the ordinariness? Is it just kind of there right now or how are you dealing Mm -hmm. with that? So what has been really helpful for me, and this is thanks to a couple mentors of mine, one of them was a priest and and he said he said max you need to see those things as part of your priestly identity like that's part of the package deal it's not just like all right i'm gonna do my my priestly things here like confessions and mass and counseling people and hospital calls like that's when i'm a priest and then these other things like 
like emails or, you know, walking back and forth from the rectory to the church or, um, you know, getting, getting interrupted, uh, on my, on my way to the office when I have an urgent meeting coming up, you know, these, these small things, it's, he was like, it's not like those things are, are outside of your priesthood. Like that's part of being a priest. Like those things are priestly because you are, uh, because that's who you are. And, and, and that's, that's the constant. And, uh, it really hit home for me from another mentor, uh, a permanent deacon in the diocese. Uh, so married and has a family and everything. And, uh, so, so I was kind of talking to him uh, about this kind of dilemma or disappointment. Talking, complaining, whatever you want to call it. Venting, whatever, whatever you want to describe it as. And uh, great, great, great guys. Uh, his name's Deacon uh, Dave Mahoney. And he looks at me, he's like, and this, this was good. He kind of called me out of myself. He's like, Father, listen, I have to pay taxes for my family. I hate doing the taxes, but that's, that's part of my job as a dad. This is part of what it means to be a father. And for me, that was especially the moment when the light bulb went off. I was like, oh my gosh, that's brilliant. Like, he's right. <laughs> and just applying that mentality to my life as a priest has helped so much to see even the most boring, mundane, ordinary task as like part of my vocation, mm-hmm. part, of, part of my, my priesthood. That's been really helpful. And convicting for me, that's for sure. Um, yeah, it's part of my it's part of my vocation. It's part of my role as a wife, as a mother, as a yeah, absolutely, as a daughter. Um, Father, one of the things that I want to uh, unpack a little bit with you, um, because I think that right now, amidst the current climate of the world, I've just been reflecting a lot on loneliness. Mm. Um, You know, we're kind of in this period of isolation. I've never before in Lent thought about Jesus going into the desert and having it be isolating. You know, I thought about the sacrifice and the fasting and all of those things, but suddenly his aloneness is becoming very clear to me. Um, Mm. When you were discerning your vocation, was loneliness a fear for you? And since you've been ordained, um, have you experienced loneliness? How do you cope with that and um, combat it? Hmm. Yeah, so, you know, I would say definitely. There's definitely been times as a priest where you experience loneliness and times in seminary where, where you experience it. And a number of things come to mind. I, I guess uh, what was really helpful for me uh, this came from uh, Archbishop Peter Sardin, who was the former bishop of our diocese, and then he was sent to be Archbishop of Seattle after us. Now he's retired, but he talked about loneliness in the priesthood, and he said for him, it was an invitation to him from Jesus to to really spend more time with him, to seek seek out uh, that intimacy with Jesus in those moments of loneliness. So he, he kind of saw those as sort of opportunities to spend more intentional time with the Lord. So as, as sort of that way of, um, 
filling up that loneliness. So, so that's, that's been helpful, but um, I think, I think in general, it just, uh, it's just a reminder to me that of kind of my humanness as, as a human being, because the, the irony is sometimes I could be going the whole day and be with people all the time and seeing them in all kinds of different venues and interactions. And in somehow at the end of the day, I, I feel this loneliness at times. I'm thinking, how is that possible? I was with people literally all day. But I, I think sometimes uh, that loneliness can, can kind of be rooted in not, not always having the, the possibility to, to share myself at times, to kind of reveal, you know, those, those sort of desires of the human heart. And, and um, so just uh, th- those are reminders too for, for me that, okay, you know, I'm a human being. And um, even though I can be with people throughout the day, um, there's a difference between being with people and having certain surface level interactions as opposed to really sharing myself and being known by an other and seeing that as, uh, as being important. I think that's such a good point. And I'm glad you articulated it because there's a reciprocity I think that you're talking about in friendship, in relationship, Mm. that needs to exist in order for us to, as you worded it, be known, to know and to be known. And uh, I think people that are uh, perhaps in the helping professions like, like the priesthood or like people that work in ministry or sometimes those that work in healthcare or uh, teachers, et cetera, those are relationships of pouring out. Uh, and there's a million and one examples uh, of that. And I, and I think what you're articulating is that, yes, those are a particular kind of relationship friendship, whatever you want to call it. Uh, but we're actually made for this intimacy in friendship where, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, not only do we know, but we're also known. And I can imagine that in your work on a daily basis, you have people pouring out their hearts to you with mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's not just that there's surface level conversations. Like you, you have right. people that are sharing really hard, heavy, deep, joyful, wonderful, amazing things with you. Uh, Mm -hmm. But yeah, to find that place where you can also uh, express and where your heart is received and where you are known, um, Mm -hmm. I think is a really beautiful articulation. And that's the combat of loneliness. It's that's the authentic community that combats combats loneliness. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's well said, you know, just the very, very nature of um, I think going going back to that spiritual fatherhood where you're you're giving of yourself and you're but you're not always receiving and that, and that's how it should be right as a uh, as a spiritual father you're you're not really trying to be on that same footing of wanting to receive from your people in that in that way at least because um you're, you're giving of yourself. But, but then again, it does, as you point out, bring up that, that human desire and need to also, to also receive. Gosh, I'm, I'm feeling so convicted about this because I even recognize in my husband right now, he, he so many times in the last few days has said, um, I just feel this immense desire 
to provide for my family. And, and part of this right now is that across the country, I think people are, um, yeah, we're, we're feeling some of those fears that come with, are we going to have what we need to have to pay our bills, to get the groceries that we need or whatever, not even just financially, but those supplies, whatever. I think there's a real fear for a lot of people in that. And he just continues to say, you know, I feel this real um, need, pressure, desire to kind of pour out. And I'm just thinking, Am I providing that place of reciprocity for him where he's not just pouring out for our family, but am I kind of inviting, inviting his heart in as well? So thanks for the kick in the butt. I really appreciate that. Um, and I think it's, so, it's, it's just comical, I think, how vocations complement each other in that way. Looking through your lens of priesthood is making me examine my marriage more deeply, which is just beautiful. So um, going back to kind of your, your, the initial question of loneliness and um, was that, has that been a sacrifice for you? I mean, I, I can only imagine, um, and because I, because I knew you um, in Rome and I remember having conversations when we were walking to class about this, you know, just like these invitations that God is kind of giving us. Um, has that been a sacrifice for you? And uh, are you continuing to see it in your priesthood? And what's the fruit of the sacrifice? Mm-hmm. Yeah, good, good question. You know, I would say, yeah, I would say priesthood in general has been, yeah, a, a big sacrifice in that sense. And um, I would say, you know, the, the loneliness kind of comes and goes, but uh, I would say the, the 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 real sacrifice was was just in general uh, to give up marriage and family. Like that was that was really really hard for me, and uh, and that's kind of the nice thing about eight years of seminary that you have time to really move through that and go through the ups and downs. And is and that a grieving? Yes, I, I I think I think you nailed it. It really is a grieving. And I think grieving in that sense is very much connected to sacrifice because, um, because that's kind of, I think sacrifice demands you're giving something up, right? You're, you're, you're offering something up to someone else or for, for something else. And so you, you have to give, give, give it away. And for me that, that to, to sacrifice marriage and family was so difficult because I had such a, such a desire, such a love for marriage and family growing up in a, in a sizable family, again, four siblings. And, uh, that was just what I was looking forward to. And, uh, at the same time, I felt this, this also deep desire to give my life as a priest and had to definitely wrestle with these two desires, both deep for two very good and holy and beautiful things. And obviously, you know, it came to a point where you have to choose one. So it very much was a grieving process uh, throughout those few years. At the beginning, it's, it's, it's exciting. You're kind of like, yeah, I'm going to give everything up. I'm going to follow you, Lord. <laughs> like, let's do this. Let's go. You know, it's kind of, kind of adventurous. and Kind of a hero mentality almost. Yeah. Like, put on my cape. I'm ready to fly. Right, right, yeah. That's that's kind of the 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 disposition, I think, and that that lasts for a time, and then 
you get to a point where it's like reality starts to sink in and you realize what you're giving up and you're just like, oh man, this is hard. Like, mm-hmm. I don't want to give that up. And so, so that that grieving and for me, that really hit home, I'd say between my fourth and fifth year of seminary. So kind of right in the middle as, as I was getting closer and just moving through it and, uh, um, other parts along the way, but you said, uh, you mentioned the fruit and I really believe that through that grieving process and finally to the point of, of giving it up, I really believe that it's led to an incredible amount of fruit. In fact, uh, for me, a very sacred, a very special moment was uh, leading up to my ordination to become a deacon because that's the the moment when we make the promise of celibacy. And at that point I kind of come to terms with it and had moved a lot through the, through the grieving and the giving up and I was feeling pretty, pretty solid about it. Pretty good. But again, as you're moving towards the home stretch, there's still part of you like, all right, I haven't made the commitment yet. Mm -hmm. There's still time. Right, right. There's still time. And uh, such, a, such a, a gift because we were in the Holy Land, a bunch of uh, seminarians. My class, there was about 40 or 50 of us. And we got to pray and study at all of these different holy sites. And I remember for me, one of the highlights was, was praying at the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. So that the church, which is actually the very location where Calvary and the empty tomb were. And I remember praying at Calvary and really, really focusing on, on this commitment that I was going to make and praying with it. And uh, the verse that came to mind is from the gospel of John, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies. It just remains a grain of wheat. But if it falls to the ground and, and dies, then it will produce much fruit. And I just remember that hitting me like a, like a ton of bricks. And, and at that moment, like you're, you're, you're still, you don't, you don't see the fruit. And so I think that's the hardest part is you don't see it, but just finally letting go and, and trusting that there's going to be fruit from this was so helpful. And after just a couple of years as a priest, it's been so beautiful to go back and, and to see like, wow, like this really has borne fruit. Like this is not in vain. Like there, there, there's a, a reason for all of this. And, I feel like it's just made me a better, better priest, a better father to, to the people. And uh, it's, it's helped me just to be free, to give of myself with an undivided heart. So I don't, if, if that grieving process didn't happen, if that death didn't happen, I don't, I don't know if there would be quite as much fruit, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it does make sense. And, and it's interesting because I'm, thinking about this too in the context of marriage. And I think that for many couples, there's actually a grieving process that they go through as well, but I think it comes later. 
Because I think in the priesthood, you have eight years, right, of, of preparation and kind of of this chiseling away uh, of self-sacrifice, of getting up early, of having the routine, of, you know, oftentimes living in community, which is a sacrifice in itself, right? There's all of these challenges and, and kind of slow steps, the study, the academic rigor of it, the spiritual rigor of it, et cetera. And I think for couples, they date for a year, two years, whatever, and then they get married and it's this joyful honeymoon experience. And then I think the grieving process starts to kick in because when you're up late at night because the baby is crying and when the financials get difficult, perhaps because you see, see it different than your spouse or when gosh, I don't know, there's a million, right? Or when the chores are not done because you expected the other person to do it or hoped that they would. I think that's when the sacrifice starts to kick in for couples, for families, um, which looks a little bit different. And of course, in the context of your priesthood, you're still experiencing daily sacrifice over and over and over again. Um, but it's almost, yeah, I just, it's almost like for the varying vocations, like there's, there's a reality that if you are going to make a choice of something to do with your life, um, that you're going to embrace something that's outside of yourself, it inevitably will contain sacrifice. Mm-hmm. 100% no getting around it, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I think, I loved it. You just said sometimes you don't see the fruit right away. And yet this confidence and this trust that it's there. And sometimes we get little glimpses of it, right? Where the veil is pulled back and there's this moment of, oh my gosh, I love my life. This is the greatest thing ever. Wow. Like God took something and did amazing, something amazing with it, you know, or, or if you're a parent, you know, looking at your children and just seeing right in front of your eyes, this fruit. Um, but I think in the ordinariness, going back to something you said at the very beginning of this episode, sometimes in the ordinariness and in the monotony, it's difficult to see that. It's difficult to kind of break our gaze almost and and look up and see the amazing things that are happening all around us at every moment. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I, I, especially because uh, if you factor in just how many things are going on, how busy life can be. And, and it's it's like, sometimes you can get so caught up in just the to do's. Mm. And, and, and I think that can make it difficult to kind of take a step back at times and see like, all right, you know, where is this all headed? And, you know, to just to see all the good that's, that's coming from it can be really difficult. Mm -hmm. Gosh, I don't know about you father, but, I feel like in the midst of this COVID-19 stuff, one of the things that I have learned about myself pretty quickly is what I'm attached to. Mm. The things that I'm attached. Does that make sense? Um, and I, yeah, it's, it's kind of this grieving, going back to that theme, like this grieving that I've experienced of, man, where do I find my worth? Where do I find my joy? Where do I find my uh, time almost like, how do I really spend my time? Is it in a way that I don't know, is, is a gift to the world or do I waste time? I, there's just, there's a lot of things for me that have kind of revealed, um, 
some of my attachments. And, and I'd love for you to speak into that as well. You know, have you, um, and, and not just in the last few weeks of everything going on in the world, but in a larger way in your vocation story in general, how have you seen your attachments and uh, how have you kind of come to terms with them? Mm-hmm. For, for sure, for sure. So, you know, for, for me, I think just uh, just in general, the long scheme of things, I think uh, um, the grieving has really helped with those attachments. And I, mm-hmm. attachments, I guess, from a broader perspective, I think of like dreams or expectations that, that we have for ourselves, that, that, that I had for myself. And... Uh, um, just for, for instance, like the dream of marriage and family life. And, um, the, I think the, the gift that grieving allows for is that it allows, allows us to detach from those things. It, it's like the, I think it's like the process whereby we, we, we are able to come away, um, and give up some of those things. So, um, I, th- I think from that broader perspective and, uh, and just in the day to day things, uh, it can be helpful because every time we're asked to, to detach from something, for instance, um, you know, getting together with my brother priest is very important. I think it's really part of, I see it as integral, essential to, to part of being a priest is, is to have that, that sacramental bond that we share and to, and to really invest in it. And, and as we were talking about before that, that loneliness and that need for intimacy, um, seeing that group as, as the group, the appropriate group to just really expose my heart to and, and to lean on for support. And, and so, so now to, to have, um, have this COVID and lockdown stuff go on and, not being able to see him as much, you know, there's, there's definitely like uh, a grieving there. And um, even, even like good attachments um, has, has helped just to move, just to move through it um, and to die to myself and, and to trust that, all right, the Lord's, Lord's going to provide. And uh, it's, which is, which is hard. And, and sometimes you, you, like deep down you, you think, you know, is he really, you know, is he really gonna, and, and, and that's when the temptation for self-reliance can kind of creep in and, and, uh, want to, want to provide for yourself, but, but just to, to, just to stay there, to be in that place of just vulnerability and dependence and trust. Um, I think that helps with the detachment. Yes. Oh, I'm so glad you said that. I honestly, I had only been thinking about some of these things in the negative context. Um, and, but, but I was completely neglecting the reality that there are many, many, many good things like being able to be in my office with my coworkers right now, or, uh, yeah, to be able to get together with our group of friends, uh, for our, you know, every other week, Lord's day gathering, et cetera. Um, 
there's been a grief there, but to acknowledge that, that those are actually healthy attachments that we have. Mm -hmm. um, and it's okay to grieve them right now. Mm -hmm. And in fact, I think what many of us in the world are currently experiencing is the grief that comes mm -hmm. with sacrificing a good. It's not just giving up candy for Lent or giving up the excess amount of alcohol that we drink or giving up, you know, unnecessary spending or whatever. Like those are things that we can implement all the time during Lent. Mm -hmm. But Lent is actually about like sometimes giving up the good and, gr and grieving that and recognizing that it's not just about us, that the world mm -hmm. doesn't revolve around Emily as much as sometimes I think it does, you know? <laughs> um so I'm I'm just so glad that you said that. That's that's going to be something that I that I really need to sit with. That we're we're grieving the good things. We're actually grieving really really beautiful things, and that's hard. Mm -hmm. And it's okay mm -hmm. to grieve them. You know. That's right. That's right. Oh. Well, Father, you just have the most beautiful heart. I just can never get enough of you. And I'm so grateful that you took time to have a conversation with me. Um, before we end, I ask all of my guests if there is a question that you have been pondering. You know, we started out by talking, There's this is a place with more questions than answers. And I think by kind of, kind of probing those places of the human heart and allowing ourselves to wonder, uh, there's just so much space for growth. And so I want to know if there is a question that you have currently been pondering. Yeah, it, 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 uh, it's, it's definitely something that's grown out of this coronavirus pandemic. And, and I've been just sitting back and just observing and watching it unfold and as we all have. And so part of me wonders and questions, uh, what, what good is going to come from all of this? Like, like what are, what are the, the good things that are, that's going to come? Uh, and what, what are the kind of twofold? What are the, the bad things that are going to come? And like, I guess if I could rephrase it, it would be, um, how is this whole pandemic going to change society, change people as we live for the better or for the worse going forward? It's kind of, kind of interesting that when the dust settles, I wonder how, how this is going to impact us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's a good question. It's something that I've been wondering as well. What is, what is the outcome of this going to be? Perhaps what's the fruit? going to be of the huh? sacrifice that we're experiencing, huh? <laughs> I like that even better. <laughs> well, Father, thank you so much for joining me. I'm just abundantly grateful. Listeners, uh, we would love to hear if there's a question that you're pondering after listening to this episode. You can shoot a text message or leave a voicemail at 605-215-1515. That's 605-215-1515. You can also follow us on uh, Instagram at SF Diocese or my personal account is Emily M. Leadham and Father Max is like a Facebook rock star. So uh, I'm sure he would love to be your friend on Facebook. Is it, is it Max Vena? Is your, yeah, it's, it's not uh, Max, right? Yeah, FR Max, okay. Father Max Vena. Didn't Facebook get weird about abbreviations like that or something? They did. They did. But a lot of us priests, we found a loophole. And if, oh, nice. if, you, put, if you put the father part in the same sort of, sort of part as the first name. Yeah. Then it, it works. It works somehow. So, so far. You know, <laughs> okay. So don't, don't complain to Facebook about Father Max Baina's name on Facebook. Okay, right. folks. Yeah. <laughs> well, he would love that. to be your friend there, Father Max Baina. Uh, and we will see you next time, dear friends. Mm -hmm.